G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. It was at this bus stop when I was about 13, and this driver drove up next to the bus stop and he said, Hey, Blue, you wanna, where are you going? I said, Oh, I'm going to my mate's place to play footy. And he said, Oh, I'll take you there. And so I got in his car, naively as a child, and he's going along this lonely road where there were no houses. I just called on the name of Jesus. And you know, I reckon there was an angel in that car that day with me. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. And actually, today we have several stories for you as retired missionary and pastor Fred Evans will be reflecting on his life journey and sharing about his adventures both overseas and back here in Australia. We'll hear how he experienced both wonderful success in ministry as well as several challenges. So let's get right into it. Here's Fred Evans telling about his eventful life in part one of his three-part conversation with Shelley Scowen. Fred, you were brought up in a Christian family and I guess we would see your upbringing as a little bit adventurous as well, adventuresome, in that you were brought up in a missionary family. Yes, that's correct. I uh, First nine years of my life, first eight years of my life was brought up in India. I was only nine months old when my parents took me to India and they were missionaries there. And, we, and uh, so I lived a lot of my early years in India. What was it like there? Because I know, you know, the rich are really rich and the poor are really poor in India. What was your area like? Well, we, live, being missionaries, and my parents being missionaries, of course, we lived in some pretty uh, uh, poor areas. And I remember as a little boy sitting on the veranda of our missionary bungalow, as they called them, and uh, watched the people walk past. And I remember seeing some strange things that scared the life out of me. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of things? Well, you see, I I remember, your listeners may not understand this, but uh, I saw a woman who was yelling at the top of her voice and scaring people, and and she could spit with betel nut. Isn't that a chew betel nut? And she could spit for at least 20 feet. (laughs) <laughs> and my mother explained to me, oh, that lady is demon-possessed. She was a mad woman. She was uh, a lunatic, and they used to run from her. All the kids to run. She scared the life out of me when she went past our house one day. Wow. That so, sort of thing. Yeah. And the beggars. The other thing that frightened me was the beggars. Yeah. You know, seeing beggars on the street with appearance that looked like their limbs were torn off and all sorts yeah. of grotesque things. It was terrible. Although I guess in hindsight, some of that would have been preparing you for later ministry as well. Yes, I think God has his... Uh, God is amazing, isn't he? He yeah. takes what we are made of and he uh, uses it for his glory in different ways to bless other people and yeah. bring healing and so on. So you mentioned you returned to Australia when you were nine years old in the early 1950s and your yep. dad pastored a church in Adelaide. So you spent yep. your teenage years there as part of the youth group, pastor's kid. Yes, I was. So we had a group of about uh, 12 in our youth group. It was a very small church 
and uh, my father was a pastor and when I turned 18, I think he was 18, I, four of us decided to leave the youth group and go to train in Bible college here in Brisbane of all places <laughs> nice. at uh, New Farm at the Commonwealth Bible College. So he lost half his youth group almost in one hit. <laughs> yeah. But out of that came a lot of other things too, which was amazing how God works through through circumstances and people moving on. Have you kept up with those guys? Yes, I, we formed a quartet, a singing quartet. We used to sing a lot around the churches here in Youth for Christ days, early in the Youth for Christ days here in Brisbane. We used to sing together and minister and so on. Uh, one of one of them has passed on. Uh, two of them has passed on, rather. Sorry, and uh, we have one that's left, and myself. Right. We we talk together occasionally of the the day we happen to. <laughs> here am I boasting. We happen to, I think, record the first sacred record in Australia. Really? On, on uh, when we're in Adelaide together. Um, Although the Salvation Army would dispute that, but uh, from an evangelical our point of view, as the first sacred record I know, we recorded on a 78, you know the old 78? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Acetate uh, recording, and uh, I've I still got a recording of that. Oh, there you go. A bit scratchy, but it's there. It's still there, yes. <laughs> So um, tell us about being a teenager there at uh, Adelaide. Your dad was the pastor. But for you, though, those were your formative years where you started to feel that call to yourself being in ministry, hey? I didn't want to be a, a minister. I didn't want to be a missionary because I'd saw, seen so much of it in India and I saw the, the tough, hard life it was really for my parents. Great. I suppose sacrificial is the word. Uh, they sacrificed for God's kingdom and to preach the gospel there, and I thought to myself growing up, I never want to be a missionary. I'll give you an example why my mother and father were so dedicated to the cause of Christ that they wanted to leave me in Australia when I was eight years of uh, seven years of age to go back and serve in India. They actually left my older brother, Andrew, and my elder sister, Irwin, in Adelaide and uh, to go back to India to serve as a missionary. Wow. And uh, I, my, my younger sister and I went back. I cried, of course. I didn't want to leave my mother. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, they took me back. And so when I was there, I in my little heart, I thought, I don't want to be a missionary when I grow up. I don't want to be uh, in the ministry. It's too hard. I want to be like normal people. <laughs> yeah. And so we came back to Australia, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought Australians were so wealthy, and the F.J. Holdens, they used to drive. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, compared to the poor Indians, my father used to drive a little Austin 7. And, uh, you know, they were very poor uh, in those days. And so I decided I'm going to get a job and, and become successful. And I went and joined the bank. But growing up, in, the, in that environment, I was very naive. My mother protected me uh, from, uh, you know, my father's heavily involved in ministry and preaching and looking after the church, and my mother really cared for me and uh, watched over me. But I, uh, you know, I was looking back, I really thank God for protecting me because I was so inquisitive of Australian way of life and trusting, very trusting mm. in nature. I was at this bus stop when I was about 13. 
Yeah. 12 or 13, I think it was. And uh, I was going to see my friend down in Glenelg. He lived in Glenelg down the bay and near Adelaide. And uh, this driver d- drove up next to the bus stop and he said, Hey, Blue, because I had reddish type of hair, reddish blonde hair, yeah. strawberry blonde, I suppose you'd call it. And he said, Hey, Blue, you wanna, where are you going? I said, Oh, I'm going to my mate's place to play footy. And he said, Oh, I'll take you there. Now, all I thought about was saving my two-shilling piece to buy a milkshake if I went with him. Yep. And so I got in his car, naively as a child, and he drove me towards Glenelg. Now, I knew the way to Glenelg was down the Anzac Highway, but he took me a different way down to Henley Beach and along Tapley's Hill Road, which is a, in those days was a other side of the Adelaide Airport, the present Adelaide Airport. There wasn't an airport there in those days. It's all sand hills. And he took me along this road and was isolated and I was so afraid uh, because I, you know, I thought, why are you taking me this way? And then he started to groom me. Do you want me to talk about it? I'm happy to. Well, I think just enough to say that you knew that something was very, very wrong, but your reaction to everything was quite unique. Tell us about what you did to stop his advances. I had one hand on the door handle, and I remember the, the colour of the, the car and the door handle, the corrugations on the door handle. And uh, I was gonna, once he slows down, so I'm going to jump out and run for my life. But he kept talking, and he's going along this lonely road where there were no houses, just sand hills on one side and, and uh, just ordinary virgin land on the other. And I, uh, I, was, I started to say to him, uh, you know, I love Jesus. My dad's a pastor and he uh, loves Jesus too. And I love Jesus. And I was kept on calling on the name of Jesus. Just, <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, as a little kid, you, you're just petrified. Yeah. And I just called on the name of Jesus. And you know, to this day, you may think this is strange, Shelley, but I reckon there was an angel in that car that day with me. Yeah. There were three in that car because all the way, and it must have been at least a half an hour journey or an hour's journey on that long road to the Glenelg along Tapley's Hill Road, or it seemed that way to me at any rate. I'd call on Jesus' name and it was, uh, even now as I think about it, I think, wow. Was that me? <laughs> hmm. It was God with you and yeah. helping you through that very difficult time, even eventually in your got, naivety as a small child. Yes. Eventually yeah. we came to some housing uh, near the suburb of Glenelg, and uh, he had to stop at a crossroad. And as soon as he stopped, I grabbed the door and jumped out and ran for my life. Yeah. And I was shaking like a leaf. Oh, yeah, as you would. Could you, can you believe it? I'm even shaking now. Telling yeah. you the story. That, and that's, that's strange, isn't it? That's many decades on. And, yes. and this is the, the, the impact that abuse has on people. Um, just because you are a naive child doesn't make it any less real and it has a real impact for the rest of your life. Yes, that's true. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that I'm shaking now talking to you. <laughs> but there you go. That's the trauma of it. That is amazing. You're listening to the story. 
Today, retired missionary and pastor Fred Evans is sharing about his eventful life. We just heard about his experiences growing up as a missionary kid in India and then as a pastor's kid here in Australia. Next, we'll hear the amazing story of how God called him to be a missionary in Papua New Guinea. That and more when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401-132-888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're back with retired missionary and pastor Fred Evans chatting with Shelley Scowen about his eventful life journey. Before the break, we heard about his time growing up as a missionary kid in India and then as a pastor's kid here in Australia. Now we'll hear what came next in his story. Actually, Fred, before we get on to your time in Bible college, the open air meetings that you were a part of there were a fairly big part of uh, your formative years as well, weren't they? That's where you learned to preach. Yes, I guess that'd be true, although I used to be embarrassed about the open-air meetings as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my parents used to go out into the open-air meetings at the Adelaide Markets, near the Adelaide Markets, and uh, hold an open-air meeting every Friday night, and there's a, just a group of maybe half a dozen Christian people, you know, and they preach and, and sing songs with a piano accordion, and and because I was under my parents' control, I had to go along too. And I used to be embarrassed to hear my mother preaching away and hearing old drunks walking past and saying, ha, 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 fancy being married to her, that rat bag. And I was thinking, they're talking about my mother. Yeah, <laughs> that's horrible. Yes. But, uh, you know, in those days, that's, that's the only way they had uh, to communicate with the unsaved on the streets of Adelaide. And just like the Salvation Army did with their bands, they used to go around having open-air meetings. Yeah, so I, yeah. I did uh, quite a bit of that. And then when I went to Bible college, of course, we had to go to open-air meetings and learn to preach. And that's where we learned to preach, on the streets at Edward Street in Brisbane. There you go. And times were very different back then as well, where people were a bit more open to street preachers as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. They would. They'd stand around and listen. And, uh, you know, we'd preach and uh, have a little congregation listening yeah. to us. That's wonderful. So then you were off to Bible college and you decided that you wanted to go and do missions work. So you were off to Papua New Guinea with fear and trepidation. Yes, that's true. I, although, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't want to be a missionary. I'll tell you this little story. My father wrote to me while I was in Bible school because I was determined if God didn't speak to me, all my friends in my class, I think, they were saying, oh, God spoke to me and told me I'm going to do this and going to do that. Well, he never spoke to me, and I thought, well, some, what's the matter with me? <laughs> I wasn't spiritual enough. Anyhow, uh, I said to the Lord one night, I said, Lord, i just not prepared to go into the ministry unless you call me, definitely call me. And uh, just that week, my father had written a letter. And in the letter, he said, Freddie, I have been observing you in your studies at Bible College, at the Commonwealth Bible College, and I feel in my heart that you ought to be a missionary. You ought to come to New Guinea which, and be a missionary there. And, uh, and I immediately screwed up the letter. I was incensed in a strange sort of way as a rebellious teenager. <laughs> I was about 19, 20. 
and uh, I screwed up the ladder and I threw it in the bin. And then as I was going to sleep that night, I cried out to God. I said, please speak to me. What do you want me to do with my life? And I, which was my habit, just before lights out, I, uh, 10 o'clock at night, I opened my Bible and read, read the scriptures at random. And I had the lights went out, so I had to get my torch. And I beamed my torch on the scripture. And the scripture opened to Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8. And it said, My son, hear the instruction of thy father. Oh. And I burst into tears. It was as if, I mean, people may not understand this, but it was as if the angel of the Lord was standing next to my dormitory bed in that Commonwealth Bible College dormitory and tapped me on the shoulder. He says, I'm calling you. Listen to what your dad's saying. And I picked up that crumpled letter out of the waste bin next to my bed and I opened and I read the letter again. The next morning I went up to the principal of the Bible College, Pastor James Wallace, and I said, Pastor Wallace, I believe God has called me to be a missionary. He said to me, I knew you would be. I said, well, why, why didn't you tell me? He said, I want you to find out for yourself. Of course. And so important. <laughs> that's how I came to accept the call to go to mission to the mission field. Wow. And, that's, and that's a great story. And it is so important, especially when you're stepping out in faith like that. You needed to raise your $30 a week support, which right. is a massive faith step in itself. Um, And, of course, going to PNG is a pretty big faith step, too. Your father was already there and ministering, and so you worked under his leadership? Yes. Yes, he was a field leader. Yeah. And so I had the advantage of him understanding me and knowing me, and uh, he sent me out to an area of 10 of a mountainous area, and he pointed it out near the back of uh, near Marprick, where we lived in the East Seapik District, and he said, Freddie... See those mountains there? There are 10 villages in those mountains. I want you to go and evangelize them and establish 10 churches. This was my first term. So I uh, took up the challenge and I built myself a little house at the base of the mountains. And uh, I was very lonely, mind you. (laughs) Mm. But I lived in that little house. And that night and evenings, I'd go up into the mountains, find the various villages, and I'd gather the people together and preach the gospel. That's wonderful. It was, a, it was incredible. I used to love it. and walk back to my little house 11 or 12 o'clock at night with my hurricane lamp through the jungle, all on my own. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real adventure. And so you saw some spiritual fruit then? Well, in the first year, 1961 was my first year of service. We saw over, I saw over 861 people give their lives to Jesus Christ. Wow. And I, I remember that number because I, I wrote it down. I kept a diary, of course, being young and healthy and <laughs> planning and gold. So I kept a diary and I wrote the numbers down and, and uh, whole villages came to Christ. It was a, quite unique because the, uh, the, the chief of the village would come and get converted, you see, put it simply, and get converted, and he would instruct the rest of the village. Now, I've come to Christ, I want you all to follow this way. Uh, that's one uh, one thing that I worried about, because I thought, oh, well, they, they're just following their leader, they're not really coming to Christ. But as I persevered every week to visit them and preach the gospel, I could see the life-changing power of the gospel in their lives. 
And uh, about two years ago, I went back to that first village. Yes. And they welcomed me. They gave me a huge welcome. Wow. And they said, Pastor Freddie, his Emmy come back, na Emmy come back long past place belong Emmy out and talk belong good news. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Pastor Fred, they used to call me Pastor Freddie. And my wife was Mrs. Freddie, by the way. <laughs> 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 and uh, they invited me back and uh, I, they said, this is where you first came and the and the people that I led to the Lord had passed on, of course, and they'd buried them right next to the church which I built. <laughs> wow. Wow. A- another interesting um, element of your heritage there, too, is that uh, you kind of got forced into teaching primary school there, particularly oh, yeah. grade one classes, which you yeah. weren't particularly fond of. You wanted to be out preaching to the heathen. But they ended up, well, you ended up establishing a school which is now still going strong. <laughs> I was right. I was dead against schools. Hey, <laughs> I just wanted to preach the gospel. But the mission, uh, the Assembly of God mission, they had a policy to establish schools, and so, so I went into this area. There were no schools there. The people, of course, were coming to me and say, "Can we get a school? We want a school. We want a school. We want a school." So I started a a literacy school to teach people to read uh, read pigeon pigeon English, and out of that. Uh, they kept the pressure on me to uh, get a school, a proper school, proper school they wanted. <laughs> and uh, I applied, I did some research and found out how many children had been born in the previous year and uh, did a census, a home, homegrown census, mind you. And I worked out figures and numbers and I presented it to the government. I said, look, it is projected that in the next few years so many children will be in these villages and they need an education. And the government agreed and they gave me a start, and so I built a school. Today it is uh, a fully-fledged uh, school uh, under the auspices of the Evangelical Alliance, an Assembly of God school under the auspices of the Alliance, and uh, the government paid for it all. That's and great. I, and I'm the founder. <laughs> <laughs> You've got such a massive story. I think we should do it justice. Can we ask you back for tomorrow and explore more of your story and how God has just been faithful to you every step of the way? I'd be happy to do so, Shelley. That was part one of Shelley Scowan's three-part conversation with retired missionary and pastor Fred Evans, reflecting on his life journey. And as we find out next time, there is so much more to his story. We just heard how he started off as a missionary in PNG and had some wonderful success back in the 1960s. Next time, we'll hear how God used his loneliness on the mission field to help him learn a valuable lesson. Before we end today, I think it's a good verse in the Bible that sums up this first part of Fred's life. It can be found in the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. And that's basically what Fred did when he decided to be faithful to the Lord, calling him to be a missionary. Well, once again, we invite you to join us next time for part two of our conversation with Fred Evans. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. It was a tragic year for us. 1975, my wife was pregnant with John Paul. And my eldest son, Ted, was about eight years of age or nine. And he had an accident at school when one of the other school children in the International School of Marprick. But by the time we got him into a hospital, 
My wife was with him. The stress of all that, she started to hemorrhage and uh, she was in hospital too. Retired missionary and pastor Fred Evans will join us once again to reflect on his overseas adventures and ministry challenges. He'll share the unexpected way God helped him find a wife after suffering from loneliness on the mission field. That and more next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 